Welcome to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. Hello and welcome to the Landwards podcast. Um, I'm your host, Andy Newbold, and I'm joined today by Claire Butler-Ellis of the Silso Spray Application Unit. Hello, Claire. Hello, Andy. How are you today? Uh, yeah, fine, bit chilly, but uh, yeah, doing well. Excellent. Now, Claire, I wonder, could you start by telling us a little bit about your background? Okay. Um, Well, the first thing is I had no agricultural background at all, uh, knew nothing about farming. Uh, I grew up in the West Midlands, a relatively suburban area. Um, My father was an engineer, though, so I knew about engineering, uh, but I knew enough to know that that's not what I wanted to be ever. Um, So... uh, yeah, it, it was it was um, uh, interesting the way I've uh, ended up, you know, becoming an agricultural engineer. So, so, so given that you didn't set out down the agricultural engineering road, why did you decide to become an ag engineer? Well, I think I think the truth is uh, I, I never did. Um, uh, I think it was agricultural engineering that sort of claimed me. Uh, and I, I, I mean, if you don't mind me saying, I think that was, that's the sort of question that only an agricultural engineer could actually ask, um, because if you grow up in, in, in the sort of environment that I did, uh, I didn't even know it existed. You couldn't possibly yeah, decide yeah. to become one because there was no such thing. Uh, it, it was only really after I'd been doing it for quite a long time that I realised that that's what I had become. Yeah. So, so going back to the beginning, what did you actually study then? Uh, I did physics. Uh, it was a toss-up between physics and maths, um, and I uh, uh, probably with hindsight chose the wrong one. But uh, I did physics at Leeds University, um, and then uh, did a PhD in theoretical physics because it was the maths part of it that I liked uh, most. So that's what I did. And then, and then, where did where did this lead you? Well, it, it was pure chance that, that that I ended up taking my first job in agricultural engineering. Um, I knew by the time I'd finished my PhD, I wanted to be a mathematical modeler. Um, uh, I, I loved describing things with mathematics. It's what I was good at. Um, but my PhD had been really abstract. Um, uh, and I won't bore you with it because it was a, probably a pretty terrible PhD. Um, and and I really wanted to do, do something that was meaningful, that was tangible, that m- meant something to people. Um, uh, and uh, and you don't get more 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 tangible really than than putting food on people's plates. That's something that uh, you know grabbed me as being a, a worthwhile thing to do. Really contributing to that. So, um, job came up at what was then National Institute for Agricultural Engineering. Um, uh, there were actually two jobs. One was in um, uh, crop spraying and one was in uh, machine milking. And I applied for both jobs and I got offered the machine milking job. Uh, and that's what I took. Um, so uh, I thought, uh, don't know anything about this. Seems a bit of a weird thing to do, um, but I'll take it until a proper job comes along. And, and, and that's how it all started. And, and following on from the sort of waiting for a waiting for a proper job situation, shall we say, um, where, where did you where did your career take you? Um, well, I loved I loved that first job. Um, so I was I was seconded down to the Institute 
for Animal Health, which was at Compton, since closed, but uh, um, I was working alongside vets, biologists, uh, animal scientists, uh, a real a real mix of disciplines and 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 I found that that was so enjoyable um so um I, I would have stuck with that forever uh, except that it was at a time when uh mass then I guess Ministry of Agriculture was cutting back on uh on, on funding and I could see that the area was disappearing people were being made redundant around me so I chose to leave uh my first job then because I loved being I was down in uh, Oxfordshire Berkshire border a nice part of the country um, I went and worked at AA technology at Harwell for a while um, that wasn't the job I thought it was going to be um, uh, it, it, it was interesting though I did learn a lot and I had the added benefit that I met uh, the man who then became my husband ultimately um, that didn't last uh, and then I went and worked at ADAS in Reading uh, in the farm buildings unit I can't remember what it was actually called but anyway uh, I was working on pig housing I once spent a very notable day shoveling pig muck out of a, uh, uh, a pig sty and I thought what am I doing here um, but I actually quite enjoyed it bizarrely um, but when I decided to get married and wanted to transfer um, to, so that I could be uh, near where my husband worked, uh, which was here at Rest Park, um, they wouldn't let me. So I, I left and, and blagged another job back at the Institute here, uh, which was probably, I don't know what it was called by then, but maybe Silsa Research Institute. Um, uh, and that's when I then lagged my way into the job in crop spraying which was the one I'd been offered uh, eight years earlier or hadn't been offered eight years earlier but applied for and and then um, uh, and then got it so um, started working under Paul Miller uh, in the chemical application group so uh, that was brilliant learned so much uh, I think really found my confidence at that point and started to uh, you know, manage projects, not just contribute to them, uh, and uh, really, really enjoyed the, uh, the the sort of the physics of it, if you like, a lot of physics in spray technology, and and found that really, really enjoyable. Um, and then, of course, Silso Research Institute closed down or was um, uh, threatened with closure at that point, um, and so I left. Uh, again, I keep trying to escape. Um, uh, went and worked in London for an NGO, Pesticide Action Network. Um, that was, again, really, really interesting, but not the job for me. Uh, working for an NGO uh, is great, but I struggled with the idea that you have to take a position on something, and never mind the fact you have to take that position because that's the position that you've been told to take. Uh, and as a scientist, that doesn't work for me. Uh, I want to be more nuanced than that. So it was great when Paul was able to offer me a job back in spray technology again. So then I came back uh, and as part of lots of different organisations since then, now as a private business that, um, that effectively I run, but still doing the same kind of work. Do you, want, do you want to tell us a little bit? That's a, that's a very neat segue, Claire. It's like it's like we prepared this earlier. Um, t tell us tell us about your day job now. 
Well, it, it, it can be very, very varied. Running, running a small business is not something I ever wanted to do or set out to do. But, uh, you know, it, it, it has its satisfaction in, in that, you know, I don't really have a boss breathing down my neck. Um, I can decide what I want to do and when I want to do it. Um, of course, being the boss isn't, isn't always that brilliant because you do end up doing the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Uh, I, I, I firmly believe that you can't make everybody else do the rubbish jobs and you only do the nice bits. You've got to divvy them up between you. So literally, I have clean toilets. Um, I do all sorts of stuff. Um, uh, but the best bits, uh, and I do a lot of this, uh, are working with customers uh, who come to us and say, can you help with something? We've got a problem. We need some information, whatever. Uh, and I really enjoy sitting down with them and talking to them, trying to understand what the problem is, what they need to do, uh, and trying to help find them a solution to it. Um, and it's important to say I don't do that on my own. Um, I, I love being part of a little team. We, uh, there's, there's five of us here. We have very complementary skills. Um, so almost always it's me and at least one of the others. Sometimes all of us are sitting down and scratching our heads and saying, how are we going to do this? How are we going to solve this particular problem? And that's, that is lots of fun. And I think we're quite successful at it, if I'm allowed to blow our own trumpet a little bit. Um, my next favourite thing, and again, I do a lot of this, um, is when somebody, uh, one of my colleagues sends me a big Excel spreadsheet full of data and says, here's the answers, these are the results from the experiment, and I'm the one that has to trawl through it and work out what it means. That's, that's, that really gives me a buzz, uh, particularly when, it, when it, it does answer the question we set out to answer. Uh, that's great. Sadly, I don't get to do much uh, mathematical modelling anymore. Um, there's no funding in it. Um, I think I think we could. I, I would love to be able to do that more, but I also think it's a bit of a younger person's game because the programming uh, languages that are out there uh, have left me behind rather. So I would I would love to be able to pass it on to somebody else and get them to pick it up and take it forward. But without funding, that's never going to happen. But I do enjoy using the model that we've got the one that I built um, to help answer questions when when you know there just isn't the funding to do a big field trial or whatever the alternative might be. Um, sadly like most people I also spend too much time doing very dull stuff like managing the money and uh, other admin type jobs but uh, yeah that's all part of what you've got to do when you're um, in a small team trying to do everything. Um. A lady for all seasons. Well, what's the other <laughs> term? Swiss, Swiss, Swiss army knife. How about that? How does that sound? Um, yeah, that sounds more positive, doesn't it? Yes, than, than just yeah. a, a dog's body, which is what I feel like. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, there, there are certain not so glamorous aspects of running your own firm, aren't there? Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, shall, we, shall we move slightly sideways? Um, obviously, you and I have got to know each other through the Institution of Agricultural Engineer, Engineers. Um, what role does volunteering play in your life and why? It, well, it's, it has a bigger, a bigger part than I ever thought it would, if I'm honest. Um, and I've got, I suppose at the moment I've got the two main volunteering roles that I, that I do. One is helping to run our local church. I'm on the PCC and I have been a church warden. Um, 
and the other is on the executive of the IAGRI. Um, and although they're, they're very different, obviously, um, I think the reason I do both of them is, is quite similar. And I, I think it's to do with my personality. Those that know me know that I do have strong views and opinions. Um, and I kind of have learned over the years, there's no point whinging from the sidelines when you don't like what's being done. Uh, you've got to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in. Um, and I think that's probably why I started. Um, and, you know, and I keep going with it because I think that we, you know, all of these organisations that are run by volunteers for other people, they can always be improved. They can always be extended. Um, we can't stand still with all of them. And, and I want to help really um, making them into organisations that will that will go the distance that will last um uh, and um yeah I mean it's sometimes it's immensely frustrating because I've got my views and they don't align with other people's but again learning how to deal with that is really good for me um uh help me develop as a human being I think and uh as also sort of you know it, it, it does make other people look at well what are we doing and why are we doing it and is this the right thing to do should should we be changing and uh i think the more people that will get involved and pitch in their views the better an organization becomes whatever it's trying to do and i think as well you know to, to push to push ourselves out of our comfort zone is no bad thing um, and, and to sort of push back and say, just because we've done something doesn't mean we should just keep doing it. Um, you know, and I, I certainly, you know, I, I'd agree with you in terms of the role with the exec on the I agree. As, asking the big questions is part of the reason for being part of the oversight, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And the answer might be, no, we are doing the right thing. Um, but if you don't ever stop and question it, um, uh, then who knows? You know, you, you can become a dinosaur very quickly, I think. It's a great phrase in our career, isn't it? Being, I often feel like I'm becoming a bit of an analog man in a digital world. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, snap, you and me both. Um, how how has being a woman affected your career in ag engineering? Yeah, that, that's you know, and and that that's a quite a difficult question to ask. I'm sure from your position, and it's quite a difficult question to answer um, from from my point of view. Um, looking back at my career, because obviously I'm getting towards the latter stages of it now, um, and I think I'm wiser uh, in many ways than I was uh, when I started out, I think it's been affected more than I realised at the time, um, and in, in both directions. So some of it positively, I am sure, um, because when you're the only woman in a, in a room full of men in suits, white men in suits, uh, you're noticed. Um, so people remember me, people come up to me and say, oh, I saw you in such and such a conference or whatever meeting. Um, and I look at these people and I haven't got a clue who they are because they, you know, uh, they don't stand out from the crowd, whereas I did. Um, so from that point of view, it's, it's, it's good because I got noticed, um, but some of it is, is negative. Um, mostly in trivial ways um, and you know I don't want to get into a big whinge about oh this might have happened or that might have happened if I'm if I'd been a man um, just occasionally I, I get a bit grumpy and think you know um, 
I, I can see opportunities that have opened up for other people that weren't there for me uh, because I just wasn't I wasn't really I didn't I wasn't on people's radar I think um, because I don't really fit into that traditional uh, stereotype of of somebody in in science technology or engineering um, but of course you know you can't live the same life twice once as a man and once as a woman and compare the two so I don't really know and the answer is I don't know how much it's affected me but um, I think it probably has to some extent and, and thinking about the same subject you know what what issues has this raised and how do you think the industry in the wider sense and the institution <clears throat> what what they can do to address matters i don't have the answers to this um uh, I, I think i think all we can do is is really start thinking and exploring uh, and and see how we can make it better for the next generation um you know i think the experience that i had is probably quite different from the experience that my children are going to have uh, my, my youngest is is 20 she'll be coming into the world of work in the next couple of years um, I think I think her views and her experience will be different um, for me you know from sixth form onwards I was in an all-girls school up until the age of 16 and then from sixth form onwards I've been in a minority in the subjects I've studied and uh, in the jobs I have taken and I have got used to it um, I am used, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sad to say, but I am used to being a bit patronised. And sometimes I don't mind it. You know, people can do it nicely in a sort of an avuncular way. Uh, and you feel quite, quite happy about it. Sometimes it blooming annoying. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm used to being overlooked. I'm, I've lost count of the number of times I've said something in a meeting or uh, in a discussion, which was sort of, uh, ignored and then somebody has made the same point some man has made the same point 10 minutes later and everybody's turned and said oh that's a good point and you think am I not here do they not hear me that happens all the time and I think the next generation aren't going to stand for that and I also think that you know they won't need to because they will all be supporting themselves and each other a lot better um I don't think our generation and I, you know, OK, so I'm a, I'm a woman in, a, in, a, in a, uh, an industry which doesn't have many w women, but I'm still a bit old in establishment, aren't I? Um, you know, um, I think it will be difficult for, for our generation to suddenly change and become much more aware of the need for um, behaving differently to, to a wider diversity of, of people in the industry. Um, uh, I, I don't. I think the best we can do is just accept that that it does need to change. We may not quite understand what's going on. We, we are, uh, you know, we're with that generation that's going to find it difficult. Um, but if we can accept that things do need to be different in the future, if we can let a wider range of voices be heard, if if a more diverse set of people can come forward and lead the industry and the institution, then I think things will get better. And our job is to seek them out because they don't put themselves forward. Um, we've got to actively seek them out. We've got to encourage them to step up and, and take the responsibility for, for leading the industry. Um, and the hardest thing of all is gonna be 
accepting that they might not share our views and that in the end it'll be us that will be sidelined you know our generation will be the dinosaurs and it'll be the younger folk who are doing a much better job than we will ever do it's it, it's inevitable that that's coming, Claire. I'm afraid, and I'm 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 going to put myself in the dinosaur camp because it's 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 just it's just thus it ever was. I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe it's just one 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 sort of final discussion point. Where do you see ag engineering as a discipline going? Hmm. Uh, well, it's an interesting question because I don't. I don't see agricultural engineering as a discipline. Um, and again, I, I, I think that's sort of a question that comes from somebody who perhaps, I don't know, did you just study agricultural engineering as a, as a degree? Was that your background? I'm afraid so. Yeah. So you see it as a, as a discipline. I see it. Uh, and I think that's why I love it so much. It's a convergence of many disciplines. It's where, you know, chemical engineering, mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, electronic engineering, any other sort of engineering that you can throw in, uh, physics, chemistry, uh, biology, um, they all come together. Uh, and and work. everybody from all of these disciplines working together for a common aim, which, you know, um, is putting food on people's plates, it's protecting the environment, it's managing the land that we have, uh, and the very limited amount of land that we have in this country um, for the benefit of everybody. Um, and I think that, you know, as as competitions for land use um, gets greater, and it's, it's only going to get greater, it's only going to get less, um, uh, as, that, as that increases, the role of agricultural engineering ought to become um, stronger and stronger. I mean, I think, I think the world needs us. Um, uh, but unfortunately, I, the way I feel at the moment is that, that you know, there are fashions and fads uh, and they seem to be driving things. We're, we're all susceptible to them, but, but politicians in particular, um, and they're the ones who are ultimately responsible for funding research and, and uh, supporting new enterprises and new business and whatever, they seem to get sucked into these sort of fancy things that... that may not go the distance um, and I feel to a certain extent agricultural engineering as a concept seems to have been a bit replaced by agritech uh, and the real engineering side of it has become rather narrow so um, so yeah, some, some, sometimes I feel you know, very positive that agricultural engineering has got a fantastic future but other times I think yeah I'm not sure it's really it's really going to survive um, there's a breadth of understanding and knowledge in the agricultural engineering industry uh, and, and amongst our members in particular that's going to be lost if we're not careful. Um, so I think the role of the institution is, has never been more crucial. And we've got to make sure that those traditional uh, engineering skills um, that, uh, that are underpinning agricultural engineering don't get lost. Couldn't agree more. Um, Claire, that has been a fascinating insight, both into your personal and your professional life, and also, um, you know, wh where agricultural engineering is going. Um, I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you today, Claire. Um, thank you very much. Um, and it, it, it's been lovely, lovely working with you today, Claire. Thank you very much. Thank you, Claire. Thanks, Andy. For more information, visit www.iagri.org.
You have been listening to Landwards, the podcast for the land-based engineering community, brought to you by the Institution of Agricultural Engineers.